Deuteronomy chapter 4. We have been uh, going through uh, this fourth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. We started uh, a couple of weeks ago. And in Deuteronomy, we find Moses' final instructions as he is about to lead the people to the edge of the promised land. He will not go in himself. Uh, in fact, he uh, several times in the book of Deuteronomy lays blame on that uh, at the feet of the people. Uh, obviously, uh, Moses was being punished himself by God for his disobedience, but he also uh, chalks that up in part to the disobedience of the people. And so we come here in the, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 14, and we see that Moses warns the people above all else about their worship of idols. And so I want to pick up reading there in verse 15. I invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. The Bible says, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them things that the Lord your God has allotted to all peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord your God has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of His own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and He swore I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land, I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When, you're, when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke Him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. You'll not live in it long, long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you search, with, if you search for Him with all your heart, with all your soul. When you're in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. For the Lord your God is, mer is a merciful God he will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. You may be seated. 
What we find here is that Moses warns them of worshiping false idols. He does this because idols are deficient. When we think about deficiency, we think about something that is lacking. For instance, if your doctor tells you that you have a vitamin deficiency, he's simply telling you that there is some part of your diet that is not providing everything that you need. But the reality is some vitamin deficiencies are small and can be treated very quickly. Others are very serious. Some require medication daily. Some require that you change the things that you eat. And unfortunately, some of them, if they go on long enough, can cause you to become ill or at some point even die. When something is deficient, it is not whole. It is not all that you need. It is not all that is required of you to function. And that's what we find with idols. They can be enticing. They can draw us in. They can be something that captures our attention. But what we understand in the end is they are not, they're not everything that we need them to be. They do not provide for us all that we require. This morning, in this text, I want us to see the five deficiencies that Moses tells the people about when it comes to idols. Five deficiencies of idols that cause us, that must cause us, to watch our hearts so that we will not worship them. That's how he begins as he makes this transition from the first section of chapter 4 to verse 15 where we began this morning, he tells them in verse 15 to watch yourselves very carefully. Literally here it means watch your soul. Guard your soul from idols because they are enticing. They will capture you. They will draw you in. They will cause you to worship them, but they are deficient. They do not provide for you everything that you need. In fact, as we find out by the end of this passage, not only do they not provide for you what you need, but idols will draw you away from God and ultimately lead you astray. This morning, five deficiencies of idols that cause us to watch our hearts so that we will not worship them. The first we see there in verse 15. He says, watch yourselves very carefully since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. The first thing we see here is that idols are deficient because visual images cannot replace the God who is invisible. Visual images cannot replace the God who is invisible. Moses is recounting for them that day when God, in their past, had spoken to them from the mountain at a place called Horeb. And He had spoken to them not in the form of a person, not in the form of an animal, not in the form of the sun or the moon or the stars, but He speaks to them out of a fire with no visual representation. On that day, what they encountered was not a, an idol was not a person, but they encountered a voice that was speaking to them from this mountain. 
And it was one of the most terrible times in their history. And when I say terrible, not necessarily bad, but it was, it was frightening. It had scared them. Because in that moment when God had spoken to them from this mountain, they were able to see how powerful God was. They were able to encounter His presence, and it, it brought fear to them because God is so awesome. But when He speaks, and, and Moses is careful to point this out to them, and it's one of the foundations for them not building some type of image, some type of idol to God, is that when He spoke, He had given them no form to represent Him. See, God is really too great to be captured by some type of visual image. God simply cannot be seen. If we go back into the book of Exodus in chapter 33, we see that, that Moses and God were, were close friends, and yet when Moses wanted to see God, God told him that it was, it was too great. In fact, all he could see was, was kind of the back of God as God passed by this mountain. God is not a visual image. We need to be careful about this because unfortunately many like to worship physical images. Many other religions like to do that. They have created for themselves gods that they can bow down before and worship. The people of God were guilty of this in the Old Testament. Many people are still guilty of this today. People like physical images because it gives them something tangible that they can reach out and hold on to. And yet, the God has not revealed Himself like that. As a matter of fact, Jesus in the Gospel of John tells His disciples that there are, there's a blessing, if you will. He says, blessed is the person who has not seen Me, talking to Thomas who wanted to see Him, and yet, people who have not seen Me, and yet they believe. There's lots of people that want that with God. They, they want some type of visual representation of God that they can put their trust into. They, they, wanna, they want something they can hold on to. People in our time, if they, if they want to believe in God, or at least they say, we want to believe in God, but we need to see something. We need to see some type of miracle. We need to see God do something. The amazing thing here is that that God had done a lot of things that His people had witnessed. They might not have seen God on that mountain, but they had seen the fire, they had seen the clouds, they had seen the smoke. They had seen as the mountain shook before them. And yet apparently we find out that's not enough. Why? Because a visual representation of God is never going to be enough. It's always going to be deficient. And so if, if you have this desire in your heart to see God do something. I need to see some type of, of miracle. And, and then I'll believe. I need to see God do something. I need to see God move. It's never enough. In fact, we can go to the New Testament and we can see where Jesus does these great miracles. Where people see Jesus in the flesh and yet what happened? They didn't believe. If, if that's where you want to put your faith this morning, it's never going to work out because any visual representation will never be enough. It will never be sufficient because it's always going to be deficient because God is not visible. He is invisible. 
And so, again, our worship of Him is not going to come through something physical. We even think about the images that we have as Christians and we have to be careful with them. We have the image of the cross that reminds us of the sacrifice that Christ has made, but we have to be careful with that. We can't worship that. That can't become an idol to us. We even have to be careful with the Word of God. We don't worship our Bibles. We worship the Savior of whom our Bibles speak. We must be careful because idols are always going to be deficient. And we, as human beings, have this propensity to make things into idols. It's just what we do. So we have to be careful when we make something a physical idol. Because it's never going to be enough. Because on that day when God spoke to His people, they saw no form. They only heard Him speaking from the midst of the fire. The glory of God is too much for us to look upon. We simply can't do it. I think one of the things here, and this is kind of a side note, it's almost could even seem a little bit frivolous, but I think we need to be careful in how we picture Jesus. We've got these images, you've seen them. Maybe you have them. This image of Jesus, and I've never seen one that I thought really looked like Jesus. Because the humorous thing is, in all the pictures that I've seen in any church that I've ever been in or spoke in, Jesus is this white guy. I'm sorry, but Jesus wasn't white. Go look at the guys on television that live in the Middle East. That's what Jesus looked like. And that if that offends you, you've got an issue because he's the only way into heaven. And so like if you really need him to be white, is that worth spending an eternity in hell for? Because that's kind of the choice. White Jesus or heaven. I mean, those are your options. So you can decide. That's why it's a danger. Nobody knows what Jesus looks like. I'm amazed how handsome he looks in these pictures. And yet, the Bible tells us that he he had no form. He, He didn't look like someone who we would respect and like and be drawn into. Because that wasn't who he was. Why? Because a physical image doesn't work. Because God is invisible. So even though Jesus was a real man, yes, is a real person, has a real human form, it's not a good idea for us to try to represent that form because often we will be drawn to that picture instead of the one who we say it represents. They're deficient because visual images cannot replace the God who is invisible. Look next, in verse 16 and forward. Idols are deficient... Because mute images cannot replace the God who speaks. Idols are deficient because mute images, images that cannot speak, cannot replace the God who does speak. Look, he says in verse 16, Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself. So, There is this tendency among the people here to make to themselves some type of image crafted by human hands. 
And so that they don't mistake what he's talking about, he gives them a list. Any male or female image. Any image of animals on the earth. Any image of winged birds that fly. The likeness of anything in verse 18 that creeps on the ground. The likeness of any fish in the water. He, he covers kind of the, all of it. So that you can't try to nuance your way out of it, he's saying. You know, well, Moses only said we couldn't make carved images of people, so we're going to make images of animals. Or, well, he said no animals, but, but we'll make an image out of, you know, a fish. Why? Because human beings always push it, right? My kids do this all the time. I'm sure yours do as well. You know, they try to nuance what they're saying. I'm amazed. I mean, they all should be able to grow up and be amazing lawyers because they just kind of, they can nuance. Well, I didn't say this, you know. I didn't say I hit her with the bat. No, it was with a stick, you know. It was, it was I, I hit her with a stick. It's different than you said I hit her with a bat, but no, I, I didn't hit her with a bat. I hit her with a stick. You know, there's a difference. You've had this experience. If you don't have children, you've, you find some kids and ask them about hitting someone, and they'll nuance it to try to get themselves out. We do that as adults as well, correct? It's not lying if you can nuance it around to, to twist it. Well, Moses wants to make sure that there's no questions here. He wants to make sure that there's no questions about what kind of carved image they can make, so he just lays it out. He goes back into Genesis, which he has written. He looks at creation, and he just includes those things that have been created, and he includes them here. You can't make a carved image because a carved image cannot speak. They do not give instructions. They are mute. I think about later in the Old Testament when we read of Elijah and the prophets of the ball. They cried for hours. Elijah had set up this contest, if you will, and, and these false prophets cry out for hours to their idols to send down fire from heaven. But they don't hear anything back. Not only does their idols not speak, they don't send down the fire, they don't do anything and to the point where at the end, Elijah begins to mock them, asking if maybe, maybe, maybe the idol needed to take a, a break. Maybe he's taking a nap or went on a journey. Maybe he even had, you know, he'd stepped to the restroom for a moment. Maybe that's what it was. The idols are mute. They can't say anything. They can't give instruction, but that is in contrast to God because God has spoken and God continues to speak. They knew this. They had heard Him speak from the mountain at Horeb. They had received His laws on tablets of stone. They knew that God communicated with them. They had this man who was instructing them who communicated with God on a consistent basis. But idols are silent images. They cannot provide instruction. They cannot speak. They cannot help you. They cannot be with you in your time of need. They cannot help you out of difficult circumstances. Idols are mute. And yet for us, God speaking to humanity is one of the central and great themes of the Bible. 
That we do not serve a God who is silent, but a God who has spoken to us through His Word and continues to speak through His Word. If we do not have a God who speaks, we do not understand our own sin. We do not understand our own need for a Savior. If we trust in idols, they're not going to say anything to us. Yeah, I said, I think it was last week, that, that often in our society, in our culture today, we, we don't think about people having these carved images. Um, people don't normally in their home have a shrine that they go and, and worship to some false god. But at the same time, we are a culture full of idols. I mean, one of the longest-running shows on television is American Idol. Yes? That's a specific use of that word. That word doesn't mean something else in that context. It, it means the same thing, right? That, that we want to take a person from America and we want to lift them up to the status of celebrity. We want to take someone who is a nobody and we want to make them famous. And we want people to watch. Apparently, I think now people have stopped watching sufficiently to where it's going off of the television. But that's what it's for. That's the word, right? It's the same word. It's the same principle. That's what we have done with our celebrities. That's what we have done uh, with our uh, athletes. That's what we have done with our politicians. We have made them into idols. But the interesting thing about it is, even though we have idols, human idols, and they have the ability to speak, they're still mute. They still do not speak and give us instruction that leads us to godliness. They do not speak and give us instruction that leads us to hope. The sad thing is, at least here in the Old Testament, at least here at, at this point in time in human history, their idols really couldn't say anything. So at least you could look at them and, and you could make this argument if you were making the case for God. You could look at these idols and say, look, these idols do not speak, but, but we went to a mountain and there God spoke to us and we heard it. Not just a few of us, but, but thousands upon ten thousands of people heard God speak. But now in our culture, because there are words that come out of the mouths of our idols, we think there's something to listen to. And friends, that's what has happened to our culture, unfortunately, is we have decided that even though our idols are mute, even though they cannot say anything that leads us to godliness or salvation, we're going to listen to what they're saying. And that's no different than someone walking up to an image that has been carved out of wood or out of metal and saying, well, this image speaks to me. This image has given me instruction. If I go to this image who oversees the ocean and I, I bow down and I worship it, it is going to tell me where to go and where to fish or where to take my boat as I, as I carry merchandise across the ocean or whatever it is. Or if I go to this idol that represents fertility and I, I sacrifice my children to it, it's going to bless our country because that's what the idols there allegedly did. 
The, the God who oversaw fertility was the God who you took your children and sacrificed them to. At least those idols couldn't speak, and when people said they spoke, they sounded somewhat crazy. But now we have come to the place in our culture where we worship these false idols, and yet these idols have words that come out of their mouth, but they do not really speak. The sad part is that for so many in our culture, they are listening to things that do not save. They are listening to these idols of our culture that do not save. They worship celebrity, they worship money, they worship materialism, and it does not save them, and yet they bow down before it. As Christians, we must caution ourselves against this. We must guard our hearts against these distractions. When we hear the world crying out to us, we need to remember that it's just vain babbling. What you're hearing from our culture is not a message that can save you. It's not a message that can help you. But it is a message that can direct your life away from God. Idols are deficient. You should not put your hope into them. Because ultimately they are mute and they cannot replace the God who speaks. But think about this. Is not that what our culture is telling us? That, that they know better than God, that they know more than God, that they have a better understanding of the world and life and history than God does. But really, they're not speaking. They're not speaking the way God can speak. We've got to make a decision. Are we going to listen to them? See, God has spoken. And in the end... When all of the rest of this has passed away, when all the celebrities in our culture are dead and gone, when all the things that we think are important in this culture are long gone, God will still have spoken and we will still have the responsibility of listening. We need to keep that in mind because we are tempted to follow these idols who really cannot speak. The third thing, Idols are deficient because created images cannot replace the God who is creator. Created images cannot replace the God who is creator. Look in verse 19. And beware, so, so he's warned them. This is the, the third time. Verse 15, watch carefully. Verse 16, beware. He comes back in verse 19. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven... And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. He says, so maybe your temptation is not going to be to create for yourself some type of carved image. It's very likely then that your temptation is going to be this, to to look up at the sun and the moon and the stars, to look up at the heavens and begin to worship them. We understand in particular when it comes to the, the Greek and the Roman gods, that was part of what they did, right? They would look out and the, the gods were represented by, by the planets. They were represented by the stars. They were represented by things that were far away and people would bow down and they would, they would worship those things, correct? Correct. 
Well, he says you, you shouldn't worship those things. Those things are not worthy of your worship. Of course, they don't speak. They're mute. and uh, They're things that are visual. They can't represent the invisible God. But, but one of the things you need to remember is that these things are created. God made them. And he did so with, frankly, not a lot of effort on his part. That's amazing. Those that hold to a, a purely evolutionary view of biology basically see it as no effort either, right? It was just a big bang and it happened. Well, the reality is it wasn't. God just did what? He just said, hey, I'm going to put a star over there. There it was. Hey, uh, the sun will go there. There it is. I'm going to put the planets in this order and I'm going to line them up exactly this distance from the sun. And That's the way it was. In fact, he, he put in more effort than he had to, correct? God could have simply thought these things and they would have been. But he spoke, so he, he put in more effort than he had to. Again, showing us the pattern of, of God speaking. It's, it's not by accident that God does this. But God just spoke, and, and there they are, and yet people want to worship them as opposed to him. And see, the problem with that is that when we worship something that is created, we are lifting it up, we are elevating it above the creator who made it. When we make an idol out of the things that have been created, we, we diminish, or at least attempt to diminish, the one who created them. And so we have to be careful in the things that we worship because we do not worship things that are created. We worship the one who is the creator. You think about how often this happens in our culture. People worshiping the creator. We can go, I mean, the created. We can go to uh, a religious expression. So you can go to one of the naturalistic religions who, you know, they worship the trees, and God is in the trees, and God is in the animals, and God is, is here and, and there. And some of them go to the utter extremes with that. I mean, there's a, a whole line of thinking in, in our country and in the world that, that really the problem with the world is what? It's, it's people. Now, theologically, actually, that's true, just not in nearly the same way that those people believe it. You know, because we've got too much uh, uh, carbon dioxide, and we, we're giving that off, and, and really, if we had less people, it would really be better for the polar bears and whatever. Now, you think about that, and you say, well, well you know, we, we like the polar bears. I mean, polar bears are good, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what your opinion on polar bears are. It's kind of irrelevant, but... Do you not see where that leads to? Do you not see where that eventually leads to a low view of life? Do you not see how it doesn't take you far from, well, we really should have less people to save the polar bears, to, well, you know, this group of people is really superior to this group of people, so if we just, if we killed some of them off, we would have superior genetics, and, and we would help the polar bears. Do you see where that gets to? Well, we, we've got to save the rainforest. This is good. Trees are good, right? Do you know if you don't have trees, like, you die? Because they take the junk that you breathe out, and they turn it into oxygen, and you get to breathe it again, and I understand it's some type of cycle that apparently is good for us. 
I've been to a lot of cities that don't have trees, and I kind of like coming back home, and there's trees out there, and it's nice. But the Bible tells us that God made man in his image. Therefore, man is more important than a tree. You need to understand this. Like, if you don't understand this view, you're, you're not holding to a, a biblical theology, a biblical worldview. The pinnacle of God's creation are human beings. They are most important. I'm not saying we want to trash the world. We can't, as a matter of fact. That's against what God has said. He called us in the book of Genesis to be good stewards of the world. To, to rule over the world, to, to use it for our benefit, but to be good stewards of it. We, we've got to be responsible there. But the problem is some people in our culture have, have looked around and they, they really love this mountain. And this mountain is beautiful and it's become more important to them than, than God. It becomes supreme to them. Or the polar bear or the penguin or I'm only thinking of Arctic animals, I guess, because it was so hot yesterday. Or the, the whatever. It becomes their thing, it becomes their idol, it becomes their God. And friends, we're coming to a day in our culture where people are going to begin to call for human beings to be diminished so that these other created things can be lifted up. And that's because people have decided to, to worship, to worship that which has been created by God, created because of His uh, goodwill because of his word given to people to have dominion over and they begin to worship it because they don't want to worship the creator we've got to watch that in our own life we've got to make sure that there's nothing that we look out and see that doesn't point us to god when we see uh, a beautiful sunset we were working at the the conley springs cruise in last night and, and someone commented how how just the, the way the clouds were the sunset was so magnificent it was it was it was amazing but when we see that is our heart drawn toward the sunset or is our heart reminded of the one who made the sunset because if your heart is drawn toward the sunset you got an issue it means you're not worshiping the Creator. If you drive out west and you come to the Rocky Mountains and you're just in awe of the mountains and how wonderful they are, but it doesn't draw your heart to the Creator, then you're, you're worshiping the Creator. Friends, that's what most people in our world are doing. Some people that really love the things that are created, the, the majesty of the animals, the majesty of the mountains and the oceans, it doesn't draw them to the Creator, and they worship those things. The fourth thing here, idols are, idols are deficient because forbidden images cannot replace the God who is loving. Forbidden images cannot replace the God who is loving. Look in verse 21, furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go over and take possession of that land. Take care. Think about this. Take care, lest you forget the covenant the Lord your God made. What was the covenant? It was a loving covenant, right? He was going to give them this promised land. He was going to make them a great nation. God was going to pour out His love on this people. And they had done nothing to deserve it. 
They had not earned it. They were not this great nation that everyone loved. And so God's like, well, I want to get in with the good people. You know, I want to get in with the big nation. No, he, he picks a small, insignificant group of people and he says, I'm going to show you my love, even though you've not earned it. Take care lest you forget the covenant the Lord your God made, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So God has forbidden these images. And what do these images do? They come in the way of God's love toward His people. Why? Because God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now we read that and go, God is a jealous God. We don't often think of jealousy in a, in a good way. You want to find out what... what the type of jealousy he's talking about? Go out to lunch today. Go out with your spouse to lunch today and let a pretty or handsome, depending on the context, waitress flirt with your husband slash or, or wife. Now, I'm a big burly guy, so this, you know, <clears throat> I can kind of take it, but let's say that you're not. Let's say that you're a smaller person. And this is a, let's say it's a really large man that comes and flirts with my wife this evening at lunch. Is it going to matter how big this dude is, the way I'm going to feel? Really? I mean, this dude's 6'10", 320, <laughs> plays in the NBA. Is that going to matter to me? No, he kick that dude in the knee, right? I mean, that's his moneymaker anyway. You take his knee out, he can't play in the NBA anymore. Is it going to change? doesn't matter. Is it going to change how I feel? I'm going to be angry, right? That, for one thing, the action that this man is taking, but for another thing, that he's taking it while I'm sitting right there. So it's not going to matter to me anything about this guy. I'm going to be angry. That's what God feels when we worship idols. That's, what, that's the jealousy that God feels when we worship those carved images. Or again, in our culture, things that we haven't crafted with our hands, but, but that our society, our culture has crafted, and we fall down and worship them. Why? Why would God get so angry? Well, he's a consuming fire. That, again, is talking about his, his love. He's jealous. Why? Well, because he has made this covenant agreement with us where we have come into this covenant and said, God, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And he said, well, I'm going to give you everything you need to follow me. In fact, as Christians, we understand that, that God sent his son to die in our place so that we could enter into this covenant relationship where all of it is on God's side. Right? What, what did we do? We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. God takes the initiative. He sends His Son to die in our place. And then we dare go out. And we're sitting at lunch with God. And we're flirting with the waitress. Now God's brought us in. He's, he's taking care of the check. He's provided everything for us. He's given us all we need. And we're sitting there. And our conversations toward the waitress. 
It's even further than that if we're realistic. We leave God and we go home with the waitress. Because that's what we do with idols. We don't, we don't stay there and flirt, but we leave God behind. We leave with somebody else. That's why God is jealous. That's why God is angry. That's why we have seen in our last passage last week that those who fell down and worshipped the idol were killed for their unfaithfulness. Because these idols are forbidden and they cannot replace the God who has shown us His great love in His covenant. Friends, think about the things that consume your heart. Think about the things that are most important to you. Those things that pull you away from God. God will later in the Old Testament refer to idol worship as adultery. And it's because it is just that. The New Testament describes the church as the bride of Christ. But when we fall into idol worship, we leave our spouse, we leave our groom Christ, And we follow after someone else, something else that cannot save us. What are the things in your life that have become that idol that you worship as opposed to God? What is that thing that God is jealous over in your life? What is it? Think of this morning. What is it that is consuming your heart and you know that off here to the side, the God that you have walked away from is jealous because of your false worship. He is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. And His anger burns toward His people when it comes to the worship of idols. We don't think it's that big a deal. We can go over here and worship money for a little while. We can go over here and worship celebrity for a little while. We can go over here and worship our society and our culture for a little while. And eventually, we'll come back to God. That's our fault. We can worship our sports. We can worship our entertainment. We can do it for a little while, and then we'll come back to God. But God is a jealous God, a consuming fire, and He does not tolerate when we worship idols, forbidden images that cannot replace His love. Is there an idol in your life that can offer you the covenant that God has made with His people? There's some that allege they will, but it will not happen. Forbidden images cannot replace the God who is loving. And then fifth, idols are deficient because divisive images, divisive images cannot replace the God who restores. There's going to be consequence, Moses tells them. There's going to be consequence if they decide they're going to worship a false god. If they decide they're going to make for themselves these carved images of men and women, of animals, of birds or of fish, if there's this idea that they're going to fall down before the sun and the moon and the stars, if they decide they're going to do that, there's going to be consequences for their action. We don't like consequences, do we? I think sometimes in the church today we, we forget that there are consequences. 
You've been told so often that if you simply come to the altar and are saved and are baptized, there's no consequences after that, and that is foolishness. Because here are the people in covenant with God, and there are consequences. Verse 25, when you father children and children's children, when you have kids and grandkids and you've grown old in the land, so you've been here a while and now you're an old man or an old woman, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. He says, hey, once you've been here a while, as a matter of fact, you've had kids, you've had grandkids, you're old and gray, and yet in your agedness, you decide to worship idols. I will utterly destroy you. You think about that. That's not, hey, these young whippersnappers here have decided to follow into the false things of the world. He's saying, no, you that have been around a while... You that know better, you that have been in a relationship with me for a long time, and think about this, if we go forward in history, these are the people that cross over the Jordan. These are the people that fight the battles to conquer the land. These are the people that take the land and possess it. You who know better, he says. You get to the point where even though you know better, you decide you're going to worship these false images, I will utterly destroy you. That's pretty powerful words, isn't it? Why? Because these images, these idols are divisive. They separate us from God. It doesn't matter the age that you're at. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church and how long you've been reading your Bible and how long you've been praying. There doesn't come a point where you can become complacent and then follow after these false idols and God will not utterly ruin you. you say, preacher, that's mean. You shouldn't be saying that. That's I, I just read what it told you. How much more so to me, when I read the Old Testament and I see what God does to His people here, how much more so are we on this side of the cross deserving of this judgment? Because these people did not have the blood of Christ covering their heart. These people did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within their life. And so if this is their punishment then what should ours be for following after false idols? Isn't this a pattern of our society? I mean, doesn't this sound very familiar? So I go back and I think about my grandparents who come of age in the 30s and 40s. And we think about the, the way our nation was then. We think about our young men returning from World War II. That's this generation that I'm thinking about and, and the way this country was built. But they had children 
and they had grandchildren, many of them by now great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren in my grandmother's case. And haven't they watched? And some of them joined in with our society deciding to run away from God. We put it all on the young people, and, and so rightly so it is. But statistics show us that even across all ages, most people in our country do not have a biblical worldview. Most people in our country, regardless of their age, have turned away from God, have followed after the idols of this world, and those idols do not save because they divide us from God, but God is looking to restore. That's what God's always wanted to do, is to restore us. That's the good news about the grace of Christ, is that we see this utter destruction. Verse 27, I will scatter you among the peoples, and there will be few of you left. In other words, most of you, are, you're going to die. When, when, when these armies come in, and they conquer you, and they take over, a lot of you aren't even going to make it out. He said, I'm going to scatter you across the world. I'm going to scatter you out among the nations. Because of your sin, because of your idol worship. He says in there, verse 28, when you get scattered out, there you'll serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. When they got scattered out into these nations, when, when God sent judgment upon them, they would literally go to places where either you worshipped idols or you didn't live. You worshipped idols or you didn't eat. You worshipped idols or you couldn't do business. You couldn't do commerce. You fell down and worshipped the idols of this culture or you starved to death. He said, that'll be your punishment. Where you're forced into idol worship. Why? Because idols divide Friends, when we decide to worship idols, we decide to divide ourselves from God, to separate ourselves from Him. They don't draw us to Him. There's no idol that draws you into Christ. There's no idol that draws you into a deeper relationship with God. No idol does that. Idols can only separate you from God. The things that you worship in your life that are not conforming to the image of Christ, they, they divide you from your relationship with Him. But God seeks to restore. Look what he says. But, verse 29, but from there, so from that low point when God judges you and destroys you and separates you out of this land, at that low point, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you'll find Him. If you search after Him with all your heart, and with all your soul. At that low point. He says in your tribulation, when you're, when you're in this time of great distress, when you've been separated out, when, you, when you've been destroyed, when you've been punished by God, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. And then listen to this. Now think about what they've done. They, what they're going to do. Moses already said, this is what you're going to do. And he says, for, verse 31, 
For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. Now think about that. Because this morning I would imagine that in a room this size with this many people, there are some of you who are struggling with idol worship. You probably don't call it that. You probably don't call it anything. You call it life. But you're worshiping idols. They might be idols made of gold or silver. They might be idols that are green and made of paper that you put in your wallet. They might be idols that you see on television or at the ballpark or wherever. They're never going to save you. They're only going to lead you astray. They're only going to pull you away from God. But the good news is that God is merciful. That, that as bad as you are, because you have, you have run away from God and went off and found you an idol, as bad as you are, as much as you have betrayed God and hurt God by your actions, as much as He is jealous toward your relationship with idols and angry about what you have done, He is still ready to show mercy to you today. See, idols are deficient. They, they don't have what you need. They don't give you what you need. They don't take care of your problems. They don't take care of the problem you have with sin and separation from God. They just add to it. But God is merciful he will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. And, and I would tell you in Christ, the covenant that He has offered to you. There is an image that the Bible tells us that we should look to. See, all these idols are images that can't save, but there is, the Bible tells us, one image an image that we should look to an image that has the ability to save us it's not the one found in the book of genesis in chapter 1 and verse 26 god says let us make man in our image but we messed that up we didn't do so well being made in the image of god we strayed we sinned but in the book of colossians paul writing to the church at colossae says this about a particular man from history. He says he is the image. Now think about this. Think about he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There is an image that we are called upon to worship. It's not the picture of white Jesus in our churches. But it is Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the one who came to dwell among us, the one who took on flesh and lived a perfect, sinless life, the one who went to the cross and died in your place. He is the perfect image of 
God. You want to see God, then look to Christ. Not in a picture of Him, but in the person and His work and the salvation we have through Him. It's through this image we are saved. Not one that has been made with hands, but one who has made everything that has been made. He once said, Jesus in John 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to see God, if that's the desire of your heart to see God, then look toward Christ. And so we need this morning to set aside our idols and all of, our, all of their deficiencies. We need to have no other gods before the true and living God. Friends, no idols in this life can save you. No image that we have made will stand. They will all pass away. Every one of them. Every image of our culture, every image of our country, every image will pass away. But our God seeks to redeem us from our idolatrous worship. He has sent His perfect image in His Son so that we could have salvation. He has sent His Son, the perfect image of God, so that we should repent and believe the gospel of Christ. See, we worship idols so bad. We, we go to other countries and we see them there and we, we put that off on them. But friends, we are one of the most idolatrous cultures in history. And if we want to see hope in our culture. It will only come from Christ. It won't come in the next election. It won't come from the next great preacher. It won't come from the next great book. It won't come from any of that. It will only come through Christ. We, as Christians, have been called out of the darkness and called to a relationship with Christ. He is the perfect image of God, and He has called upon us to repent and believe the Gospel. Friends, I would encourage you this morning to examine your life. Are there idols in your life that are pulling you away from God? Maybe a better way to put that. What idols in your life are pulling you away from God? Let's just go ahead and assume because of the way we are in our sin that we are an idolatrous people. It's probably a safe assumption. What are the idols that we have fallen down and worshipped before? What are the idols in our life that we need to destroy, that we need to go in and tear down today? Not tomorrow, not someday, well, if I can get to this or that. Friends, here's the problem. The people of God waited till they got to their old age to worship the idols. And God destroyed them for it. How much more so if we know we have idols now and try to wait to our old age to tear them down, will we fall under God's judgment. Friends, the grace 
that is available to us is available in Christ. It's available from Christ. And He has called us His bride. He has come and, and offered up Himself for us so that we can have a relationship with Him. But friends, if we are worshiping idols, we are leaving our relationship with God. We're running from our relationship with God and running toward those idols. And God calls upon us to destroy those idols and turn to Him. What idols in your life need to be destroyed? What things are you worshiping that are preventing you from worshiping the one true and living God? Friends, if you do not know Christ this morning, He calls on you. He calls on you to repent, to turn from your idols, from your sin, from your wickedness, from all the things that you have done in disobedience toward Him and turn and follow Him. This morning is your opportunity to do that. If you don't know Him, I want to share with you how to do that. I want to, I want to invite you to do that. I want to share with you how to know Christ. But friends, I know most of you are believers. You, you believe in Christ. You follow after Christ. But there are idols in your life. What are they? And are you willing this morning to destroy them? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You. We thank You for the grace that we have in your Son, Christ. We, we thank you that we are not, God, we're not forced into the worship of false idols. We, they're not the only thing available to us. God, when humanity sinned, you could have left us to our own destruction. You could have left us condemned already. But instead of that, you lovingly gave us your Son. Not an image made of hands, but the image of the one true and living God. The perfect image of you, the Father, you gave us in your Son. The firstborn from all creation, you, you sent so that in him we might have life. God, we're so grateful this morning that you have loved us when we were not worthy of your love. God, you have loved us when we did not deserve your love. God, you forgave us though we failed you so many times. God, I pray this morning that you would speak to hearts. God, you would remind us of the idols that we have built in our life. The things that we fall down before in worship. God, remind us of how your anger burns. Your anger burns against the idols of our life. God, I pray that we would seek to destroy them. That we would seek to remove them from our life and to God, give our heart fully to you. That we would not turn from our left or our right, God, but we would walk with you wherever you would lead us. God, I know this morning there are some gathered here who don't know you. They, they're comfortable with their idols. They've found hope in their idols and peace and 
But God, we know it's not true. And God, I just pray that you would speak, that you would speak to those here who don't know you, who've never trusted in you, who've never followed you. God, you would speak to their hearts right now. God, call on them to kill their idols and to turn to you. God, to set their idols out of their life, to put them away, and to God, follow you. And God, I pray that you'd give them the strength to do that this morning. God, again, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you love us, God, even though we are so unlovable. God, be with us. Lead and guide our hearts this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we get ready to sing. I just want to encourage you that, that the idols in your life, they, they, can't, they can't be put out by like a one-time commitment uh, walking the aisle or whatever, they, they have to die to you daily. You have to, to, to arise every morning with the intention of setting aside your idols and following Christ. If you want to call on Him this morning to do that, I invite you to come as we sing and, and, and cry out to God to kill the idols in your life, to destroy them, to put them aside so that, so that you follow Him fully. And friends, if you do not know Christ, this morning there is hope. You may have never heard that before. You may have never been given that word before. But there is hope if you do not know Christ, regardless of the idols that you have worshipped, regardless of the things you've done, regardless of the ways that you have strained away, strained away from God. There are, there are, there's hope this morning. And as we sing, I invite you to come and speak with me. Let me share with you how to know the hope that is available in Christ. Would you respond to God's word this morning as we sing together?